Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Today is a very special uh, Sunday, of course. It's Mother's Day. It's my privilege to uh, share a thought from the Word of God for you today for Mother's Day. When I share this, I'm going to be looking at a story of a mother from the Old Testament. And as we do so, we're going to look at five qualities and characteristics of a godly mother. And as we do so, uh, this is not an admonition of what mothers need to do, uh, or fathers, parents, grandparents. Uh, this is more to me an affirmation, an affirmation of what I see in the mother's uh, in our church family. I'm here today, of course, and just uh, by myself, except for Pastor Gary recording, and the sanctuary is empty. But I can uh, just, I can close my eyes and just imagine all your faces, and I can see the faces of the many mothers in our church. And I know that right now uh, you are uh, serving your family. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenging time. We all know that. Uh, you can't do the things you normally do. A lot of people are really feeling cabin fever and a lot of homeschooling and just a new routine, trying to work at home as well. And I know it's a, it's a challenging time. And I'm just proud of all of the mothers in our church. And I know that the uh, the love and care they're giving to their families. So this is a special Mother's Day. And I thank you for joining with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word. As always, Lord, we ask that uh, it might be your words that we hear, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and uh, open our hearts to you in a wonderful way this Resurrection Sunday, first day of the week that we gather. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Today I'd like just to, and if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you just to maybe take a minute, hit pause if you want, and uh, go grab a Bible, uh, your tablet, your phone, whatever, and follow along with me because we have quite a bit of narrative in this account here I'd like you to uh, share with us. First, Samuel. And this is one of the mothers from the Old Testament that I, I just really uh, love this story. I love this account. And I love the qualities and characteristics that we see in her that, again, are an affirmation of what I see in the mothers uh, that I know from my church family and the church families I've been associated with, with the mothers in my life. And so I'd like to uh, look at this account today. First Samuel chapter 1, in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And so he's going to be one of the key uh, figures in this account here, Elkanah and his wife. We look down at verse 2. He had two wives. One was called, now we say Hannah, and since that's the English uh, transliteration of this word, we're going to say that. The Hebrew would be something like Chana, but I don't want to keep spitting at you, so we're just going to say Hannah, okay? And uh, so that's what we're going to use. We're used to that. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Panina. Hannah was probably the older one, and the first wife, since she's listed first. Panina would be the second wife. You'll notice Pinana, Pinina had children, but Hannah had none. Now, Monogamy is the norm, but we see in the Old Testament there were cases where there were more than one wife. We see this in the patriarchs, of course. And in this particular case, most likely because Hannah was not able to have children, that he then took a second wife in order to have children 
uh, for his to pass on his family and his name as would have been uh, culturally acceptable in that time. Hannah had no children. Panina had multiple children. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, in verse 3, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. At Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. This is where the tabernacle is. This is where the locus of worship for Israel during this time. Whenever they came to Elkanah, to, when, they, when the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, and we don't know if this is one of the three festivals they were supposed to go up annually, or if he made an annual pilgrimage of his own family, of a very pious man and his family. And he went all the time to this place. He would come and he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her, all her sons and daughters. You see, there are several. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. But the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. This sounds very similar to the patriarchal stories of Sarah and Rebecca and of Rachel and the difficulties that their wombs being closed till God opened them and God made a promise, remember to Abraham and Sarah, that you will have a child. It took many years before it happened, but they did. And to Rebecca and to Rachel as well, uh, they had children. But this is really harkens back to this idea from the patriarchs, these special families. The Lord closed her room, but her, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. I want to stop right here. And the first point I want to make of a character quality of Hannah that I think is worth noting is her kindness. You notice how she responds to this. It's very strong language here. We've seen it twice. Her rival, it says. Uh, the other wife saw her as a rival and she kept provoking her. She kept digging it in. She kept reminding her and her children probably and the servants and the household and reminding her and provoking her and trying to cause dissension and anger and jealousy. But you notice Hannah's response. Remember how Sarah responded with Hagar and had her sent away? Um, here, uh, Hannah's response is one where I think we see a, a woman of kindness, a mother of kindness, because instead of responding to her anger and doing as the older the first wife of doing something harmful it says she wept and she would not eat but she did this herself and i want to just point out i think this is worth noting that hannah is a is a kind woman these are these are pious people uh, these these are this is a family who is living what they believe about their god and his grace and his mercy so that's our first point and the first character quality of a godly woman and a godly mother is this kindness that she showed. Verse 8, Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, we're missing the tone of voice. We're missing the body language here. And there are those who uh, look at it one way and say, well, that's pretty callous. Aren't I just as good as ten sons? Or we could say he's trying to help. He's trying to come and say, Hannah, I, I, I love you. I'm your husband. Aren't I as good as 10 sons? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a very pious man. He takes his family 
to, the, to, to, to Shiloh to do this every year, which he doesn't have to do except for the three times. It seems to be a special pilgrimage. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. You notice Hannah doesn't respond. At least we're not giving the response. I think he's trying to help. And, uh, but yet, of course, this does not um, take away her sorrow and her sadness at not being able to bring a son into the world, which is so important. Verse 9 of chapter 1. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, so they're up there for this pilgrimage. They're up at Shiloh for this pilgrimage. This is north of Jerusalem. And they've come there, and, it's, and they've come for this pilgrimage that they talked about. And one time when they were there eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, this is the, he is the, the priest who is serving at this time, the high priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed. Again, she's praying, she's weeping. Her sorrow takes her to the Lord to, to pray, to ask for his help and, and, and to come before his presence as she should. And she made a vow. Notice this vow. She made a promise to the Lord in verse 11. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, your servant, if you not forget your servant, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. You might wonder what that note about the razor uh, on his head is. And this has to do with a, a Nazarite vow, as we see in the Bible. You can go back into Deuteronomy, uh, to Numbers chapter 6. You can read the accounts in the Old Testament of a Nazarite vow. Of course, Samson was one, remember, who no razor cut, touched his head. And we can see in the Bible that the Nazarite vow could be a temporary vow, taken for a period of time. And then as you close it, uh, the hair would be brought in as, as a sacrifice. But in this case... And in this case, it's not the boy's going to make the vow. The mother makes the vow. It says he will be a Nazarite for his entire life. This was unusual. His entire life, he will not be able to drink any strong drink. He will not be able to eat grapes. He will not ever cut his hair. He will be a Nazarite for his entire life. She is going to give him back to God as a special son, a special servant for God's use. As she kept praying to the Lord, verse 12, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. This was very unusual. In the Bible, we usually see uh, audible prayers. You do not see silent prayers. But in this case, she is praying fervently to the Lord. Her lips are moving. There's no sound coming out. She is, she is, she is in deep prayer before the Lord. Eli, a little bit insensitive here, if you ask me. Um, this is kind of an unusual response. I mean, he should have, as high priest, he should have been able to pick up what's going on here. But Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. I, you know, there's probably no need to say that. But he did. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was, now I want you to notice this. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Pouring out my heart to the Lord. And I want to stop there and make our second point of this this woman and and this mother who's who's going to be a mother. And this character of her. And notice, as of course is so obvious, her fervent prayers to God. She doesn't take it out on the other wife, her husband, anybody else. She goes to God in fervent 
prayer. A mother of genuine prayer. And I love this. And this is what it says in the original language. There's this, I'm pouring out my soul. I'm pouring out my life. I'm pouring out my heart to God. And this idea of pouring it out. She is so deep in her prayers to God. I'm pouring out my heart to God, Eli. I, I am not drunk. This, this is what I'm doing. The second characteristic I just want us to note here is this is a woman of prayer. And a very intense but very genuine and serious prayer to pour. You ever poured out your heart in prayer to the Lord? You know, the Apostle Paul says at times we don't even know what to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us to God. It's that pouring out, even when you don't have the words to say, and she is pouring out her heart to God, asking God to hear her request for a child. Eli, verse 17 well, at the end of verse 16, she says, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, he is the high priest. He is the religious leader. He is the spokesman for God for these people at this time. Remember, we are at the end of the period of the judges. And if you read the book of Judges, we, we talk about the judges cycle, where they constantly go through this cycle where they need desperate help. God raises up a judge Gideon, Samson, Deborah, all these different judges he raises up. They lead Israel to victory over their enemies. They, they, they have a period of time of peace. And then they go right back to their sin. The cycle starts over again. It's been a terrible time of the cycles and, and desperate times uh, during this, this time. And this is at the end of this period of the judges. Eli is the religious leader. He is the high priest. He speaks for God. And he says to her, in verse 17, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked. Go, God will grant you what you have asked from him. And she said, may your servant, she keeps using this phrase servant, may your servant find favor in your eyes. She went her way, she ate something. Notice she's been fasting, she hasn't eat, eaten, she's been weeping, she ate something. And you notice it says that her face was no longer downcast. She, there was a change that came over her. It was an obvious physical change. This woman who was so intently pouring out her soul to God, who was not eating, who was praying, who was weeping, all of a sudden it's changed. Her face no longer reflects that fear or that anguish. And she eats. And there's a whole different about this different about her. Why? The third quality I would like to suggest to you, along with a woman of kindness, a woman of, of a woman of genuine prayer. She's also a woman of genuine faith. This was a word from God. This was the high priest, Eli. He spoke for God. And she took that word and it changed everything. And it changed her appearance even because she was now living with that hope and that faith. Remember with with, as I mentioned with Sarah, she also received that promise, but it took years. It took years before Isaac was born. We're not given a timetable here. She just has received the word, you will have a son. And she takes it in faith and everything changes. What a wonderful quality. It's a woman of genuine faith, Hannah. Well, the story goes on early the next morning, verse 9, 19. 
They arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and I love this, and the Lord remembered her. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord remembered. Well, the Lord hadn't forgot. But this is in the Hebrew a way of saying that God honored the word that he had given through Eli to her. And he, and he, he acknowledged it. He remembered it. He remembered it. He remembered it. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel. Samuel. Saying, and we, this is where the, the name comes from, because I asked the Lord for him. It's the, 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 the word here, it's actually, it's very close to the name Saul as well, to, to ask for. The Hebrew, the word ask for can also, the word lent is connected with this word as well, to give to, to lend by, by voice saying, I lend to you, I ask for, uh, I received, I give. And so she names him Samuel, E-L at the end means God, Elohim, right? Anytime you see that, something to do with God. And she says, I asked of the Lord. And he responded, of course, and she had a son, Samuel. What joy that must have brought. She made a promise. I will, I will give him to you, God. If you, you give me a son, I will give him back to you. She made that vow. She made that promise. She asked, and God responded and gave her that son. Verse 21, when the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, he had made this promise to go every year to the, to the tabernacle to make this a vow to present his sacrifice. Hannah did not go. She's used to going every year with him, but this time she does not go. She says to her husband, after the boy is weaned, after the boy is weaned, when I'm finished nursing, I will take him and I will present him before the Lord. Remember, the firstborn child belonged to God. We talked about this at Christmas time, that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus and presented him to the Lord and, and, and paid that, that sacrifice to buy him back from the Lord. The firstborn belonged to God. This boy belongs to God regardless. This is going to be a special boy. I mean, he's going to be given to God for his entire life. And she says, and, and, and so she says to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Now for the mothers here, I'm sure you can appreciate this, what, what is the cost that she is willing to pay. She says, I will, I will take him after I wean him, but she won't go this year. And I wonder what's going to, I just wonder, I thought about this, doesn't tell us why she's used to going every year. But is it just the thought that she knows that she will have to go soon, present him and leave him there? And she will not have this boy she had prayed for for so much at her home. This boy she loved dearly, Samuel. She had promised him to God. And she knew when she went and presented him, he would have to stay. I think she's going to put this off as long as possible. And in the biblical era, we know that um, what we call the, the nursing period could be three years, possibly more. You could extend it, but around three years old, uh, they would continue to do so. She is going to wait until she is finished with that time, pour her life in her son, and bring him to the Lord. Do what seems best to you, verse 23, Alcana said. This is unusual. She's gone every year with him. Do what seems best to you. 
Stay here until you have weaned him only. May the Lord make good his word. We must fulfill our vow. They made, she made, and he agreed, and they made together. So the woman stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him, until she had finished nursing him. So I want to stop here. We've talked about her kindness, her heart of prayer, her faith in God. And I want to just stop here and just, just want to note here her commitment to her child, to raising her child. She is going to, she's, she's not going to have very many years and she knows that. And she is going to take that time she has and she is going to pour her life into this son. She's not just going to nurse him. She's going to nurture him and prepare him. He is a special boy. This is a special time. Israel's been through many difficult times. God has his hands on this boy. And, and I think she knows he is going to be a significant leader for God's people, for the house of Israel. And she's going to pour her life. She's going to commit to her child and sacrifice for this child. She is going to work hard. I'm going to say this. She is going to work hard at her ministry. Her ministry, the gift that God has given her. She realized what she had right now was the present time. And that's all she had. And I want to affirm today, again, as I, as I think of all the mothers in our church family, the mothers who have children at home now, the mothers who have raised their children, the grandmothers, the mothers who have impacted so many lives. And I just want to affirm today the joy we, we share together in seeing this type of commitment on, on behalf of our parents today and the mothers, especially this Mother's Day, to give thanks for this commitment of being willing to pour your life... You don't know how long you have. We, we have a general idea today about how long our children will be in our household. But it goes fast. It goes fast. And right now, uh, in, in the, especially as you mentioned, in the time we're in today, um, it doesn't maybe seem to be going that fast. It seems to be maybe a real challenge. And I just want to encourage all of you and mothers on this Mother's Day, thank you for pouring your life into your children. For committing to your ministry. You know, when I was in Minneapolis, I had a, a situation. I always, remember, I always remember this. I, I was with some people who, I was a Christian education pastor at our church uh, in Minneapolis at Bethesda. And uh, we had three young children, uh, Sarah, Linnea, and Emily. Probably at this time I'm talking about, they were probably five, three, and one. Two years apart each, five, three, and one. And I was at a meeting with some other uh, pastors, Christian ed pastors and so on, and we were chatting and talking and over lunch one day about our families. And somebody asked me, does your wife work? Now, I don't know if you've ever said something really stupid, and the minute you said it, you knew it was really dumb. Does your wife work? And I said, no. And the minute I said that, it struck me. Well, that was dumb. My wife, no, she doesn't work. She's got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old. She's a pastor's wife with all that involves in the church life and the church family. Uh, no, she doesn't work. That was really, really stupid. I didn't quite know what to say afterward. What I, what I probably should have said was she runs her own nonprofit or, or something, but, but she doesn't work right. As parents, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, we pour our lives into our children and it is work. It is a challenge. It's a ministry. 
And it's something that, that, that God has given us. And I just want to, in this Mother's Day, thank you for doing your ministry. It's the most important ministry you will ever have in your life. And I know that many of you, many of you do work and you're working at home right now. Or maybe you are in essential services and you're working. And it's, it's a challenge right now. And we are all working together. But you are also working with your children and fulfilling your calling and your ministry. It is the most important calling in ministry. Everything else, serving God, serving your family, everything else falls under that. Well, let's go on and finish the story. Verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with the three-year-old bull, and ephah the flower, a skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, when they had slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be lent to the Lord. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. The Hebrew word really is the idea, I, I'm lending him back to the Lord for his entire life. He's a young, he's a young guy, three, four years old, however long she could have stretched out that time to keep him at home. And she will never see him at home anymore. She will only see him when she comes to visit the temple. And in fact, we'll see in the next chapter, she does come up. Now she won't miss that trip, right? She comes now and says she makes him a little robe every year for him to wear uh, for that year until she comes the next time. And I'm sure she looked forward to those trips. But you know, it's amazing that uh, this last point I want to make here, this last point I want to make is that uh, she was a woman, a mother, a mother who saw the future. I'm tempted to say she's a mother who, who kept her promise and kept her vow, and she certainly is. And she didn't have to. Right? From a human standpoint, after all, don't we have a whole litany of kings in, in Israel and in Judah we're going to look at if, if we read the rest of the Old Testament who make promises to God and, and then completely turn against him? She didn't have to. I mean, look at Solomon. Look what he promised before God. And look what happened. She didn't have to do this. But she did. Because she was a woman of faith. But I don't want to just say she's one who kept her vow and kept her promise. She is a mother who saw the future. She, she had to have that picture in her mind of this little boy she was raising someday being a great leader in Israel. Obviously, she, she recognized this. He was given to God's service. And Samuel is a great leader. And we watch Samuel's life. And he is instrumental. And he's a godly man and one whom, who God used in, in so many ways. And we read it, he, he was the last of that period of the judges, the first of the period maybe of the prophets, even though Moses was a prophet as well. But he, he transitions his time to the monarchy, to the kingship of Israel. And God uses him. And she saw the future. And I just want to encourage this on this Mother's Day, mothers and fathers, church family. I want to encourage this today that we need to be able to, to see the future. We need to be able to look at our children as young as they are our teenagers, our young people. And we need to have that vision to see them leading this church, serving in ministry, 
touching their community, doing great things for God, living lives of faithfulness. And, and, and we need to have that vision. And she's, she had this vision. She was a woman who saw the future. And so this Mother's Day, I just want to affirm in our love for our mothers, I want to affirm and thank you for your kindness, your prayers for your family, your faithfulness, your commitment to your ministry with your families, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And I want to affirm, thank you for your understanding of the future. We only have them for a certain amount of time, but they are given to God. And we give them to God. And we must never hesitate to let God have our children and young people to do what he wants to do with them, not what we want. This is Hannah. To me, uh, she was a wonderful uh, example. And I just want to close with this. We as a church family, and these are different times. Uh, we're who we are. We're, we're doing what we are, you know, and uh, hopefully you'll, this is who we are. And we're going to continue. We're looking forward. We'll talk some more next week about this, about looking toward the future and what our hopes and dreams are for getting back together when, it, when we can do this and continue to serve. We continue to minister. We continue to serve. We continue to be a part of your lives as leaders of this church and you with one another in the ways that we can. But as a church family, I just want to encourage that. I want us to, uh, to, to also affirm all of these for us as a church family. We've been doing our study from Ephesians. I do a 15-minute, uh, four times a week study from Ephesians. And you're welcome to join us. Hour of Grace. We're now moving toward chapter 4. where We're going to see this tremendous application. Of these. You ju- jump in and join us right where we are, if you'd like. You can find it in our webpage under Ministries, Hour of Grace. Jump in and join us. I'd like to have you share in this study. But I see the book of Ephesians. One of the things we've seen is how Paul uses this language of family, to, of who we are. God our Father. And we as, as family, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uses these, this terminology, and we see this throughout the epistles, that we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters, genuinely brothers and sisters in the Lord. God is our Father. Lord is our Savior. We are the body of Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit. So because of that, I also want to affirm today our commitment as a church family to these very same things. The friends, as a family that we provide for our children and young people, an example and a place where they see and experience kindness, where they know we are praying for them with fervent prayer, pouring out our souls for them, that we are a people of faith, that we believe everything is in God's hands and we are never out of his hand for a split second. And he is in charge, and we, and we trust him. We trust him for everything. And we trust him for our future, for our families. And we trust him for our hope and our salvation. We are a people of faith, and our young people and children need to know that. We are a people who are committed to our ministry of raising up our young people and our children in the things of the Lord. And we are continuing to do that, even in these difficult times. We are continuing, and we will continue to do this, and we invite you to join us and be a part of that. And friends, along with our kindness, our prayers, our faith, our commitment to our ministry, 
We need to be a church that sees the future. Are the best years of our church behind us or ahead of us? We need to see the future. And we need to see these children and young people, the future of this church family, the future of God's ministry and God's work around the world, wherever he would take them. We need to be this kind of a people of God. That's my affirmation for us this day. Thank you for being that type of church family. Mothers, thank you for being that type of mother. And let's continue to do so. God bless you. And we are so looking forward to seeing all of you again. And we continue to pray for you and encourage you. And thank you for sharing this time with us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for these wonderful illustrations from the Word of God. When we think of Lord and the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, But I was like a mother among you. I nurtured you. I nursed you, if you will. We poured out our very lives. We did not just share the word of God. We shared our lives with you. And Lord, I just pray that that will always be our story at Berean Bible Church, that we are here to share our lives, that we are here to nurture and to care and to have this environment in this context where our children and young people, as a family, we will always be committed to raising them in your word and in your ways and that they might serve you and love you and walk with you as, as all of us, as your family. Christ, our Savior's name, I ask these things. Amen. God bless you and thank you again for joining us for this service.